Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. Do you have great people in your life? People you would really look at and say, that, that person or those people, they, they are most certainly great. And even if you don't or haven't in a while had those people that you would point to and say, great, I think you and I at least know the difference between ordinary, decent, and great. Not like I'm encouraging us to be very judgmental. The world needs absolutely no more of that. I'm just saying, I think we kind of know that. If, if each of us had our own personal Mount Rushmore, who would be the faces you would put on that proverbial precipice? And the real reason why I'm asking you that question is not so much that you would tell me who, but that you would really think through why. What would be the criteria that would determine why a person would be great in your eyes? Because the world uses a lot of different measures, doesn't it? Every single new year, I was like Time Magazine's publishing of the 100 most influential people. list is full of politicians and superstar athletes and celebrities and tech moguls and billionaires, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and people you've never even heard of before. And they don't use the term or the adjective great, but the way that they measure greatness is based on influence. And I always find that kind of interesting. In the same way, it wasn't more than a couple weeks ago, I was overhearing in a coffee shop two 20-somethings talking about, in a kind of competitive way, how many social media followers they had. Because that kind of seemed to be the way that they determined who may or may not have been greater than the other. I vividly remember several years ago overhearing a couple 40-something men, egos were maybe turned up a little bit, talking about who may or may not have had the better car or career, which seemed to indicate that was their measure of greatness. I have watched parents identify and pressure their kids because the success of their children somehow said to them how great they were. And lest we forget the wise and sage advice from Malcolm Forbes, who once said, you know that great philosopher, Malcolm Forbes, who said, whoever dies with the most toys at the end wins. So whether it's miles or inches or dollars or revenue in your company or the success of your children or your marriage, et cetera, et cetera, are those, are those the measurements that you use to determine whether or not you are, you're crushing it? <laughs> I ask this question because I really want you to think about that criteria. What is that measure for you? Because this matters not just as we look at the people that we look up to, but as you and I also care about and look to the people who look up to me and to you. This says everything about the way that we view people and the way we would have people view us. This says everything about our relationship with those over us, including our relationship with God. And so while the world would measure greatness using inches and dollars, etc., etc., Jesus takes that concept of greatness and the measure that is most commonly used and he turns it completely upside down. And in doing so, he shows us how outside of this word, literally, his measure of greatness is, that it is grace, why you and I actually would want to even consider such a thing, and how Jesus and only he can actually make it worth it. That's what he makes very clear in the gospel lesson that I just read. I would invite you to have that open. The lesson from Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 32. Many commentators will point to this part in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been kind of working through the Gospel of Mark a lot lately for, 
for a good reason. And commentators will point to this verse, these verses, and will say, this is kind of the, the pinnacle. It's rising up and building the, to this point. It's the, it's the linchpin in the Gospel of Mark. And I would agree, because even here, Jesus himself, he's pointing his disciples to a very clear and present culture shift that is happening in their lives as followers of this Savior. At this point, they're going to Jerusalem now for the last time. And they're no longer going to be on the heights of popularity. In fact, they're going to be in the depths of scrutiny. They're not going to receive any accolades. Okay, Palm Sunday would be a highlight. But, but then beyond that, it's, it's going to be a whole lot of deconstructive criticism from here on out, if not worse. And you saw it in our lesson, right? Jesus says, this is going to be the time when, when he is handed over, he's condemned, he's mocked, spit upon, he's crucified, buried, and don't forget that last part. Then on the third day, he would be raised again. And almost not even dropping a beat, what do James and John say? Hey, teacher, we would like you to do for us whatever we ask. Talk about a way to go to Jesus. Can you imagine that? I mean, imagine this hypothetical for a second. Let's say I come home one afternoon, and my wife is standing there, and she's giving me the serious look. Husbands, okay, serious look. There's bags under the eyes because she's been crying. She says, I got the report back from the doctor, and they said that the lump is cancer, and I got at most a few months. And in that moment, I say, yeah, that's nice. I was kind of curious, what, if, what, if you'd be willing to make for dinner kind of whatever I ask? Like several months on the couch don't even, don't even serve as a righteous punishment for that kind of inconsideration. Can you believe these guys? But maybe we can identify with them a little bit more than we might initially estimate. I mean, they, they walk up to Jesus and they have this type of prayer, paying no attention to the depths of the suffering that he just communicated to them and was about to undergo. And instead of saying, Lord, we would really like to learn more, they said, Lord, I'd like you to do whatever I ask. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think I'm the only one who's ever prayed that prayer too. <laughs> you know, kind of like when we should be saying, thy will be done, we easily get caught up in saying, Lord, I kind of want my will to be done. And yet, how does Jesus respond? Maybe first, how does Jesus not respond? Like they ask for a special place to sit, and Jesus could have said, I'll give you a place to sit. A broad side of my foot. Or how about you guys go, no, Jesus doesn't respond that way at all. All of the initial responses we might have for people who are entirely inconsiderate, especially to the perfect Son of God and Savior, what does he say? What can I do for you? Even when you and I come to Jesus and come to our Savior and come to our Lord in prayer, even with the wrong motives, what does he still say to you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? What do we call that? We call that grace. It just so happens to be the M.O. of the Son of Man that is the Son of God who is always dealing with, yes, was and still is dealing with people who struggle to understand the way that we find greatness. And yes, that all comes back to knowing the right measure of greatness. And Jesus makes very clear at the end of our lesson how greatness is found. What does he say? If any of you wants to become great, he must become what? Mm -hmm. And if any of you wants to become first, he must become last. And then Jesus says the most mind-blowing thing ever. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. There you have it. True greatness in this life is not measured in any other way except for grace. Greatness is not measured in getting ahead. It's actually helping others get ahead. Greatness is not found in the inches and the miles that you traverse in this path we call life. No, greatness is found in helping others and laying yourself down so that they might walk forward on the inches and the miles that is this pathway of life. Greatness is not found on dying with the most toys or having the biggest bank account. It is who you benefited while you were still alive with whatever material possessions God has given you. Greatness is not found in the influence you have over a large number of people for your sake. Greatness is found in the influence that you have over a large number of people or even a small number of people for their sake. Greatness is found in grace. The Son of Man, and you might think, well, this is the Son of Man. No, in order to become the Son of Man, this is the Son of God. This is the title for the Son of God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the one through whom all things were made. Nothing was made except and apart from him. Colossians tells us he holds all creation together. That heartbeat and that breath you just took is only because of him. And he left heaven and he came down not to look fancy, not to exert power, not to get influence, not to be served, but to he gave his life, all of it, the entirety of it. He left heaven and gave it all to to serve. Wow! He gave his life as a ransom for many. And that means all, and that means you. And guess what? That is greatness, and that is grace. And you know, if you're anything like me, in the back of my head, I kind of wonder, is it though? Like, is that really great? Are we really sure about that? I mean, because that's kind of the rub. If this is greatness, it's grace. That's the rub. See, the question really isn't, what is the measure? We know that it's grace. The real question is, why would anyone on earth want to do this? And I think you all, whether this is your first time to church or your 51st time to church in as many weeks, I think we all kind of get this. That is what Jesus is saying. We know that this Jesus, who was most certainly and historically and verifiably the Son of God who became man and died and rose, that there's no refuting that. This guy also gives words that we must therefore follow. And I think we know what he's saying, namely that that if we're going to follow him, then that's a pathway that overcomes boundaries that really make us uncomfortable. It's like kind of walking up to the, to the line, so to speak, and thinking, I'm, I'm, are we sure we got to walk that far? Kind of real comfortable right here. Right? Like I actually have to give, le- give more so that I would have less? I mean, I think we kind of get that what Jesus is saying means we're going to become less. We're going to have less credit, have less accolades, have less money, have less positive influence according to the world's standards, have less that we've accomplished, have less boxes that we've crossed off because we're spending a whole lot more time and energy and influence in, in serving others. That, I don't think you, you fail to understand that. I think we all get that. The question is, why would anyone want to do that? It makes absolutely no sense at all. Oh, hey, I'm going to sign up to get kicked in the gut. Said no one ever. It's a bad idea. But we can, while we pause and think of why anyone would do this, we can think of the alternative that Jesus presents in our lesson. He says, okay, 
I, I really want you guys to think about this for a second. Look at the Gentile rulers. And, you know, bringing up the government. Like, that immediately starts pushing buttons, right? Like, yeah, look at all those people who are over you, who exercise authority. Even that second term, it is oppression. It is persecution that they were experiencing, the likes of which most, if not all of us, haven't even seen. Look, look at how they do that. And we might think that Jesus really is pushing that government button again because we can all, you know, hop on our little pulpit and we got a little something to say. Jesus really isn't doing that at all. He's pointing to people in powerful positions because of the degree of responsibility and opportunity that they have to serve and not be served. It's not that they are the only ones who do this. It's just that they are in the greatest position where they shouldn't do this, and it's most evident to all. And the disciples knew it, and Jesus knew it, and you and I do too. So what Jesus is really saying is, you guys see the MO of this world. You guys see how this world operates, where everybody is backstabbing everybody. Everybody is stomping on the face of the person beneath them so they can somehow climb whatever ladder. You, you see how family members try and trash one another so they somehow come out looking better. than You see how, what friends do behind. You see what happens in your workplace. You know the stories of what happened in the workplace before you got there because people, t you know what happens. And that is why Jesus, who wants so much more for you, looks into your eyes too. And he speaks to your mind and heart and he says this, not so with you. And it's not just because he wants you to have a greater influence and that's going to come back again. This is not a give-to-get type of false theology. He says, not so with you, so you would experience the grace that is going to come, but most importantly, so you would know the grace that he has already given you. You've seen what happens when family members trash one another. Not, not so with you. Believing the lie that so long as other people look worse, you will look better? Not so with you. Not so with you. When people who have done similar things to you are in your workplace, and, and really all that they do is they want to tear you down and not build you up, and your gut reaction is to kind of do the same, and you might even have some good ammunition. Not so with you. Whatever it takes in your business to get you ahead so that the revenue stream would look where you projected and hoped that it would be, but that would kind of mean some casualties along the way, not so with you. Why would you want to do that? Well, it really kind of presents the biggest question that we haven't asked yet. Not why would you want to do that, because Jesus calls you to it and you know that he has only your best at heart. Is this really even worth it? It's very much related, isn't it? Is this really worth it? Because if I'm going to do this, that means I'm going I'm to have to take that step that I'm really uncomfortable with. And how would I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that this is actually going to be for my good and not for my worse? Let me tell you. Jesus, who possessed all the honor and the praise and the glory in heaven, left that for you. Jesus walked every step in this life so you would know that every step you take has meaning and purpose. And he did that for you. Jesus took every nail in his hands and his feet and, and the lashes on his back and the, the spitting and the crown of thorns. He took all of that so you would not face the worst part about his suffering, which was when the father turned his face from his son. No, instead, when you die or if Jesus comes first, the father from heaven would look at you and you're like that child that he's been waiting to see for a long time. And he says, come in and enjoy your father's happiness. And Jesus did that all for you.
The real question is not, why would you and I want to do this? The real question is, why would God? Because he loves you. Because deep in the cavernous corners of his heart, he just has this heartbeat that beats with love for you for no other reason except he just loves you. He just loves you. You see the life of your Savior who, who became the Son of Man and laid it all down for you for one reason alone. Not so that he would get anything returned, but simply so that he would give his life as a ransom to buy you from death, from punishment, from suffering, so you would enjoy the paradise of heaven. He even saves you from the struggle that happens in life, right? When we're caught in the thick of this kind of power struggle stuff. I mean, you can kind of picture the disciples. James and John walk over there, and it says that the other ten, what happened? They became indignant. It doesn't really describe how that happened, but it kind of happened off to the side. But what's really clear is why they became indignant. Did they become indignant because that was a really rude thing to ask Jesus? James and John, get your manners straight. Why are you asking Jesus to get a special place? No, they became indignant. Why? Wish I would have thought of asking Jesus that. It's a really good one. And then immediately, what naturally happens in the hearts and minds of people? Started looking of all the ways to start cutting James and John down, and there's that power struggle again. And in all of that, Jesus identifies the opportunity and responsibility that exists over them, just as he does with you, and he says... It's not so with you. Not so with you. And it's not just because God has greater things in store for you than this achieving of, from power struggles, but it is that he has already demonstrated such grace for you, fully and freely finished. Think of it this way. There is this man, lest I forget his name, a man by the name of Sir Nicholas Winton. And in 1988, there was this broadcast on the BBC. This, there was a video that's kind of gone viral on social media for the last few years. I see it every now and again on my feed. And Sir Nicholas Winton was at this broadcasting, sitting there in the front left, because he was told that he was going to be introduced to several of the people, that is, Jews, who were escaping the Nazi hunting and oppression. So from the Czech Republic, which is where he was doing a lot of his work, he helped save not just several, not even just dozens, but hundreds. And he was told that at this broadcast, he was going to meet several of them. And the lady who was hosting the show, she, she has his scrapbook and there's a list at the end and she kind of holds up one picture and she lists one of the names. And then she says, this person is here today. This man is sitting there. He's like in his upper 80s. He would later live, he would die in 2015. He would live to be 106 years old. He's sitting there not, not knowing who he's going to meet. And the lady's sitting right next to him. And they both start sobbing because they hadn't seen each other since. Then the host mentions another woman and says, would she please stand? And it's a lady sitting right next to him. And he continues to just sob and cry. That's not what he, he didn't even know. He hadn't seen them since. And then she says, everyone who's there, please stand. Dozens of people around him. Stand up. The total, 669 people. 669 people. And later in an interview when he was 105, they asked him why he did that. And you know what he said? In a very humble voice, he said, I'm, I'm kind of sad that I've lived long enough to see all of the ways that you guys have exaggerated this. 
even though all of these, peop- these rescuees kind of validated and affirmed that this wasn't an exaggeration at all? You've exaggerated this. I simply did this because stuff like this was done to me. It's almost like this man knew what was at stake, but it didn't matter because he was so full of grace and kindness that was shown to him. The question wasn't, why would anyone want to do this? Or is it going to be worth it? The question really was, how could I not? How could I not serve? How could I not cross those boundaries? Be they between countries or thousands or hundreds of miles, whatever it is, maybe even facing death. How could I not when someone has done that for me? My friends, you have somebody who has done that for you and more. This is the one who didn't just cross boundaries between countries. He left heaven to come to earth for you. You have one who took the torment and the pain on the cross so you would never face that. He nailed every single one of your sins to himself on that tree so that by his wounds, you would be healed. So whether it's the guilt you feel or the angst that you experience, the power play that you're so tired of, or all of the frustration that you see throughout all of this life, Jesus tells you he's taken all of that away. And for one reason— So you would enjoy heaven? So you would have eternity? You would experience true, eternal greatness that cannot be taken away? And and even now, you would have profound influence on the people around you. Not to get anything, but simply because you can. You can serve. Yes, my friends, that is the true measure of greatness. It is grace. And by God's grace, that is going to be so, and it is even so now, with you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.